Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 87. According to Exodus 23:21, do not provoke him. Do not shrink back or draw back. If we do, he cannot pardon your transgressions. Why? Because the text says, my name is in him. That is, the word is in him. Hello, I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and you are tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. Well, it's nice to have you once again listening and learning with me. And uh, this is episode number 87 and part 23 in my podcast series on defining biblical love as it is spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, considered by many to be Paul's lessons of new covenant love, what it is and what it is not. Let us now continue with our detailed look into how we might better understand more about divine biblical love, as Paul wrote of it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. On the last program, one lesson that we learned is that Jehovah sends out His divinely generated love with His desire that we will respond to it, and thus, in responding to His love, we then will come to trust His love to be all believable, or if you will, all trustworthy. However, we are also always battling with a natural liability that we inherited from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. That is, to not believe and to not trust in Jehovah. Well, to do so, it just goes against our natural grain, so to speak, and it just seriously rubs us the wrong way. But you see, in choosing to believe and trust in Jehovah on our own terms and according to our own decided program of how we might like to express our faith or our belief, this is defined in Scripture as self-righteousness, or if you will, our pursuit towards self-justification or self-justness, which is our built-in desire to want to earn and merit the love of Jehovah. But you see, this is not Jehovah's plan, and it never was, because He knows that we are bankrupt and we really have nothing to give Him as much as we might like to think that we do have something to give Him. So quite seriously, let me once again state it for the record, we have nothing to give to Jehovah, nothing that He's going to say to us, Oh, I'm so glad that you gave that to me. Now I'll be good to you and give you my love and my salvation. No, Scripture does not teach divine salvation that way. 
So this leads me to the words of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which is what Jehovah's love is based upon, that if we will choose to do the salvation program according to how Jehovah wants us to do it, then Scripture refers to this action as one who has a straight soul, as opposed to one who has a crooked soul. So on our last podcast, I quoted for you the words of the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. Behold the proud one. His soul is not straight or not upright in him, but or because the just or righteous shall live by, or even you could say shall live in, his trustworthiness, meaning that a straight soul will live according to the trust that he or she has chosen to express in and towards Messiah Yehovah. You see, this prophet Habakkuk's principle shows us the all-believing, all-believable, and all-trustworthiness component of our faith in Yehovah even when we just simply don't feel this way. In other words, feeling inside that he has let us down, that he is not there when we call upon him, that our faith oftentimes is challenged in such a way that we become convinced that all this believing in Jehovah stuff is ridiculous and so not worthy of our time and spiritual effort. Well, we might feel that all this spiritual activity of faith that we try to exercise in our day-to-day walk of life, that this is just a total waste of time because we cannot see what we are trying to believe in, that sometimes it all just appears to us as an invention of our own mind, our creative imagination in action. Oh yes, we can be easily drawn away to believe that we have been snookered, foiled, and yes, even taken advantage of for being just a bunch of weak-minded people. Yeah, I've heard it all in my short life, and all this negative self-talk is just so debilitating. So when we get so downtrodden from life's numerous troubles, all of its falls and bruises, and we feel that our faith has come to be crushed or smashed or pounded into oblivion, then we look to ourselves or, yes, even to others for their help. Yes, we do this. And certainly this feeling was nothing new to the writer of Psalm 121, who himself had to deal with his own moments of emotional demolition. This Psalm 121 is called the Song of Ascents, and it was likely composed by King Hezekiah, yes, Kiahu, in or around 800 years before the coming of Yeshua, the Messiah. Here's what the writer of Psalm 121 said. 
I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? Well, my help comes from Jehovah, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps or guards you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps or guards Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Jehovah is your keeper or guard. Jehovah is your shade at your right. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Jehovah shall preserve you from all evil. He will preserve your soul. Jehovah shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. These are some beautiful words of Scripture. However, unless we are willing to step out of our choices towards darkness and death, and we choose instead to walk in what Scripture shows us about how to walk and how to rule over the law of sin and death that lives in our flesh and depravity, if we will choose life, then the Spirit of Jehovah will give us that life. But we have to want to trust the truth of that life-giving love of the Spirit that is in Jehovah. You see, Jehovah cannot, nor will He ever make that choice for us. We must step out into it, period. And until we do that, our old man of sin and death is just going to win the battle every time. So, the choosing of life in Jehovah is up to us, but the doing of life in Jehovah is from Him, not from us. So, what are we going to choose when we get dragged down into some emotional and spiritual cesspool of filthy, dirty debate? debilitating thinking that this invisible deity of Scripture that we want to love and we want to follow is nothing more than an invention of our own mind. What if we come to believe this? What are we going to do? Are we going to choose to listen to our old man of sin and death, or are we willing to step out of our self-destructive state of mind and receive what He wants to give to us, freely, whether we feel it or not. Well, I think Paul most certainly understood it well when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-18, through 18, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, because that's who we are, folks, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Master Yeshua, that the life of Yeshua may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Yeshua's sake, 
that the life of Yeshua may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but, or also I could say, in you, that is, life. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. In other words, I have confessed this belief with my mouth. Therefore, Paul goes on to say, we also believe, and therefore we speak, knowing, and this is an experiential knowing in the Hebrew language, knowing that he who raised up the Master Yeshua will also raise us up with Yeshua and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. And, by the way, it is going to perish because of the last day resurrection, which we're going to talk about on another podcast. Because this is happening, this perishing of our outward man, the inward man, that's the new man you are in Messiah, he is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, or in Hebrew, a rega, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. They are. But Paul says, The things which are not seen, those are eternal. The divine spiritual encouragement that is given to each of us because we are regenerated in and through the completed work of Messiah, this is precisely what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that this all-believable written component that is written about is to help us to choose life and not choose death. And at all costs, we must not choose our own efforts for our deliverance or salvation, because we are hoping in and looking for Jehovah's deliverance and salvation, rather than doing a bunch of appeasing stuff in order to get Jehovah's attention. We've already got his attention if we will simply trust him. That is up to us. So I'm saying to you, it is precisely Yehovah's do not do it yourself scriptural warning that was the driving force of what was written for us in Hebrews 10, 38 through 39. Let's read it together. Now the just or the righteous, if you'd like to put it that way, shall live by faith. That is, the just or the righteous shall live by the believing all principle of 1 Corinthians 13, 7. But if anyone draws back, or literally shrinks back, 
My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back or shrink back to perdition, but of those who believe, meaning those who respond to the love of Yehovah through our trust in him to the saving of the soul, which we know is based on Genesis 2.17 and its reference to the second death. You see, there is a powerful theological link between Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, and Hebrews 10, 38 through 39, dealing with the non-believing, unresponsive, natural soul of sin and death that has been ordered to stand down by the authority of the mind that we have from Messiah Yeshua in our regeneration. This is about the believing, responsive soul towards Jehovah, a belief and response that is growing and maturing in us, coming from the mind of the Spirit of Messiah. This is one of many lessons from Hebrews 10, 38 through 39. It is given to us that we would remain trusting in Jehovah for his free gift of justness or righteousness, even if we find it nearly impossible to believe and to trust because we've been so beaten down in life. But by responding and believing in what Jehovah wants us to know about his love is totally, amazingly stunning. It really is. For a little bit here, let's do a deep dive into this, okay? I want to start by comparing 1 Corinthians 13.7 to Exodus 23.21. Again, I'm going to compare 1 Corinthians 13.7 to Exodus 23.21. So again, let's start with 1 Corinthians 13.7. Yehovah's love is all-believable, or Yehovah's love is our all-believing in Him. That's the essence of 1 Corinthians 13.7 and what Paul has written there. Now let us compare this to Exodus 23.21. Behold, I send a messenger before you to guard you in the way, and to bring you into the place to which I have prepared. This messenger of Yehovah has got a number of different names in ancient Judaism, but another couple of names that is given to this messenger is that of the Word, the Truth, Metatron, and the Young Man. Yeah, they've got all these names for this messenger of yud heh And he has been sent to guard us in the way in order to bring us into the place to which Yehovah has prepared. So the text of Exodus 23, 21 continues, and it says, Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. 
Well, what does all this stuff mean? Well, you see, here in this statement where it says, do not provoke him. This is given as a translation from the Hebrew statement, al-tamer bo, the Hebrew term tav mem resh, is thou pointed to give us the word tamer, which means bitterness or grief. And this is coming from the Hebrew root mem resh resh, which means to be embittered or to have a reason to complain about something with bitterness of soul. You can actually see this word, mem resh resh, or bitterness, as the word marar in the Passover story and in the foods that we are to have on the Passover table when we reenact Passover every year. So you can see this idea in the words of Job 27.2, Ruth 1.20, and Psalm 106, verse 33, which should be read as al-tamru, meaning to complain bitterly about Jehovah in that particular statement of Scripture. Now, follow along with me in this deep dive that we are taking together to better understand what happens when life just seems to throw a lot of mud and filth into our face, and then we become sorely tempted to just walk away from Jehovah and ditch 1 Corinthians 13.7, and in that, to not believe in Jehovah's love for us. Rather, we just end up getting ourselves convinced to say, He hates me. He hates everything about me. And then we might actually lead ourselves into a most destructive moment or moments of depression and pain in life because we end up responding and saying to this God of heaven that we are scripturally encouraged to trust in, we say to him, I hate you. Get away from me. It happens a lot because you lost a loved one. Yeah, they die. They pass away. Or perhaps you have just gone to hell and back in some aspects of your life, and you just get so bitter and so angry that you want to say to this God that you have sought to trust in, well, I just hate you. Get away from me. Maybe you have said that. Okay, well, this is a very real feeling of what you are feeling or what you have felt in previous times. But I say to you that if you have in times past felt this way or even said these kinds of things, I encourage you never, ever let this change your course so that you ditch the faith, that you walk away from it, that you say, I want nothing more to do with this Elohim or God of Israel. I want nothing more to do with this messianic faith or with scripture or with anything that this Bible has to say. Don't let yourself walk away from this stuff. I encourage you, stay the course. Feelings come and go. 
But don't ever let this change your mind so that you jump ship, so to speak, and you just totally walk away from everything. Don't do it. That's a bad move. Do not let these feelings that you may have battled with turn around and hold you hostage so that you say, I've had enough of all of this stuff. Because if you do that, it's not going to end well for you. And we're going to come back and take a look at this after we take our quick break. Our website is www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. We'll come back to the second half of this podcast and talk about this subject. Stay with us. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 87. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, we're back. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Now, before the first half break, I gave you a reading from Exodus 23:21 concerning the messenger or angel of yud Vavhe, who was given to us to guard us in the way, to bring us into the place to which Yehovah has prepared. In that statement, we are admonished to beware of him and obey his voice and to not provoke him. Now let's go on and talk more about what we're learning here, okay? And I want to assuredly tell you some things that the 70 elders of Alexandria, Egypt, believed and understood about this idea in Exodus 23, 21, and the statement, do not provoke him. These 70 elders of Alexandria, Egypt, you see, they understood the Hebrew statement, al-tamer bo, again from Exodus 23, 21, they understood it as an admonition that we must never, ever allow this to take root. In other words, don't give yourself permission to do this thing in him, on him, or even towards him. So I asked the question, don't give yourself permission to do what thing? The Septuagint translators saw in the Hebrew statement al-tamer as do not tamer. That is, don't be embittered in the soul. Don't let this take root in you. You see, when they read Exodus 23, 21 and the statement, do not provoke him, they understood the end result and the consequence of giving ourselves permission to become embittered in the soul. Because they knew that when we do this, it grows in us as an outlook that is analogous to shrinking back or drawing back from Jehovah. Put differently, 
The Alexandrian scholars who translated the Hebrew Bible to Greek understood that to become embittered in the soul, that is, in the Hebrew word tamer, what happens is that it empowers sin and death to take control and to rule and reign in and over us, essentially causing us to walk away from believing and trusting in Jehovah's name. Now, if this shrinking back or drawing back from believing in and trusting in his name happens and we allow it to take root in our soul, the problem is that we risk losing our protective covering through Messiah's restitutionary payment on our behalf. You see, if we shrink back or draw back, as understood this way from the Septuagint translators, if that happens, it then becomes our forfeiting of Jehovah's deliverance and salvation towards us. Now, I'll tell you, if this happens, the word who was also called the prince of the face, that is Messiah, he cannot forgive the sin and death that rules over us and controls us. If we shrink back or draw back from our trust and faith in Jehovah, we leave Jehovah's covering behind. We become naked and uncovered in the world. So once again, the statement is made in Exodus 23, 21. Beware of him and Shema, his voice. Do not provoke him. Do not shrink back or draw back from trusting him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Now, this is important. Because we learn from Revelation 19.13 the meaning of my name is in him. Look at Revelation 19.13. His name is called the word of Elohim or the word of God. And according to John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us which is why it is said in Revelation 2, verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the congregations, to him who overcomes, that is, to him who does not shrink back and deny Jehovah. To that one I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Folks, this shrinking back or drawing back from trust, faith, and belief in Jehovah, the very thing that Paul was writing about in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, if we walk away from Jehovah's free gift of giving love to us, which is in his messianic redemption, it will lead us to re-covenant ourselves back to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, which is personified in and through the Antichrist, the one that wants each of us so that we will deny Messiah Yeshua 
and will deny his messianic redemption, that we might be set free from that which we inherited from Genesis 3.6 and Genesis 3.22, which are both references to the law of sin and death. This is what the Antichrist personifies. Therefore, we must not shrink back from our belief and trust in Jehovah. No matter how difficult things get for us, it is very important because in doing so, we end up with taking the mark of the beast in Revelation 13, 17 through 18. That's the risk. So all this said, let us again return back to the scriptural admonitions against provoking and shrinking back from our trusting faith in Jehovah. Again, here is Hebrews 10, 38-39. Let's read it. Now the just, that is the righteous, shall live by or in the faith, that is the all-believable principle of 1 Corinthians 13, 7. But if anyone draws back, or quite literally, if anyone shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Hebrews 10, 38-39 continues by saying, We are not of those who draw back or shrink back to perdition, to those who believe or to those who respond to the love of Jehovah through our trusting faith in him, going towards the saving of the soul, which is a reference back to Genesis 2.17 and the subject of the second death. In dying, you will die. As the 70 or the Septuagint scholars of Alexandria, Egypt, about a hundred years before Yeshua, and they read the statement, do not provoke or do not embitter, and translated that to the Greek language of their day. They understood that if one becomes proud or bears a proud look, as it's recorded for us in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, then that one comes to be primed and is prepared to shrink back from his or her trusting faith in Jehovah's free love gift, his declaration towards us that we are just or righteous. Friends, the implication is serious because this shrinking back empowers one to enter into a do-it-yourself redemption plan meaning that one will be sorely tempted to abandon the 1 Corinthians 13.7 principle, that of all believability and all trustworthiness, in the name of Jehovah and what he has provided for all of us. Again, if we walk away from his name, I'm telling you straight up, it is not going to end well for us. Thus, the truth of the Word gives us a series of statements to relate to according to Habakkuk 1.12, Habakkuk 
Hebrews 10.39, and 2 Corinthians 2.15-16. So let's take a look at these passages together. Habakkuk 1.12, Are you not from everlasting, Yehovah my Elohim, my Kadosh One, or my Holy One? We will not die. Referencing the second death of Genesis 2.17. Towards judgment, you have appointed him and the rock to prove what you established. That is totally prophetic of Yeshua. Now go to Habakkuk 2.4. Behold the proud. His soul is not straight or upright in him, but the just shall live by or in his trustworthiness. That is, to live in and through Messiah's trust, the one who held to a responsive confidence in Jehovah in order to complete his mission. Now go to Hebrews 10.39. But we are not of those who shrink back unto annihilation, which is the perdition of the destruction of the soul, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. This is again referencing Genesis 2.17, in dying you will die, talking about the second death. Then Exodus 23.21, Beware of him and shema his voice, do not provoke him. That is, don't shrink back for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. And finally, 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16, For we are to God the fragrance of Messiah among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death, our first physical death, which is leading to death, that is, a second death which is spiritual, and to others, the aroma of life, referring to a before life, that's this physical life, leading to life, an afterlife which is eternal. So Scripture is showing us that shrinking back or drawing back from believing that Jehovah is all-trustworthy and all-believable and when this comes to challenge each of us to make a personal choice that he is in fact untrustworthy and unbelievable, what happens? Will we choose to receive his free gift of life eternal, or will we choose to forfeit what Jehovah has provided? If we choose this second option, to choose to forfeit what Jehovah has provided, because we come to believe he is untrustworthy and he is not believable, then for that one who chooses this path, there will be left to him or her no cover, no shade, no protection, no pardon for his or her inherited transgression, which was passed down to all of us by Adam and Eve a poison DNA imprint that we genetically ingest by eating from the poison fruit of the law of sin and death, which is in the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. Once again, 
This is why the warning is given to us from shrinking back. According to Exodus 23, 21, do not provoke him. Do not shrink back or draw back. For if we do, in this case, he will not, and I might add, he cannot, pardon your transgressions. Why? Because the text says, my name is in him. That is, the word is in him. This is the lesson that is learned from 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that Jehovah's love gift is all-believing and all-believable, meaning his love gift is completely and is in totality all-worthy of being trusted and received by faith, because Jehovah's name is called the Word of God. Again, See Revelation 19.13. So the Word, who is Messiah, the truth, he cannot turn a blind eye to what happened in Genesis 3.6 and Genesis 3.22. He can't do it. He cannot turn a blind eye to that, confirmed by what is written according to Habakkuk 1.13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look upon wickedness. At the end of our life here on earth, it is a matter of great concern for every soul that the soul who sins, according to Ezekiel 18, meaning the soul that rejects receiving Jehovah's messianic redemption love gift, that soul will be lacking in justness or righteousness from him, the Messiah, because that soul did not believe or trust in Messiah to receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. This is what Paul was addressing in two places. Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience, referring to Adam, many were made sinners, that is, corrupted with a genetic imprint from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. So also by one man's Shema, or obedience, that's going to be found in Messiah Yeshua. Many will be made just or righteous. And compare this to 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10. The coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Nahash, that is, the Satan of Genesis 3.1, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous or unjust deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, Messiah, that they might be saved. In other words, They relied on their own do-it-yourself salvation deliverance program. And that is not going to provide anyone with a declaration of justness or righteousness so as to be saved. And so the scriptural lessons that teach us about having trusting faith in Jehovah and in his Messiah of man's redemption process for this salvation to be effective It depends on a trusting faith that does not shrink back 
or it is not drawback. Again, relating to the Hebrew text of Exodus 23:21, which is reflected in the Greek text of Hebrews 10, 38 through 39. Now, to really get a solid picture of how this can play out in everyday life, we can look at two additional places in the New Covenant narratives. Once again, let's take a look at Exodus 23, 21. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not shrink back from him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Now, let's take a look at Mark 2, 5 through 11. When Yeshua saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Yeshua perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, or get up, take up your bed, and go to your house. We see why Yeshua chose to emphasize a forgiveness of the paralytic sins, rather than simply say, well, just take up your bed and walk. It is because some of the religious scribes and religious leaders were present to witness the event, and they clearly knew the teaching of Exodus 23-21, to not shrink back from trusting in the eternal name belonging to Yeshua. They clearly did not want to receive him as Yehovah's messenger, that is, the angel of yud heh because they understood that angel of Yehovah as having a name referred to as Metatron, as well as having another name referred to as the young man who was sent down from the Jerusalem temple above, proving their guilt in shrinking back or drawing back and away from taking a step of faith to believe in Yeshua. Now, there's yet one more place we can take a look at to make the comparison between Exodus 23, 21 and Hebrews 10, 38 through 39. When Yeshua was in the Garden of Gethsemane, or in Hebrew, Gat Shaman, that is, the Garden of the Oil Press, there on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and his movements were being tracked by many of the Jewish religious leaders of the scribes and the Pharisees. Notice how the narrative explains exactly what happened when they approached Yeshua to arrest him in the garden. So they approach him, and Yeshua says to them in John eighteen four, Whom are you seeking? They respond and say to him, Yeshua of Nazareth, or Nazareth. Then in the next statement, in John 18.6, the narrative tells us that they, quote, drew back and fell to the ground. 
Well, why would the narrative tell us this peculiar detail? You see, I think precisely in order to make the point that these religious leaders had zero trust in Jehovah or in Yeshua's messianic claims. These men were showing us clearly what it means to fall back, draw back, or shrink back based on Exodus 23:21 and Hebrews 10:38 through 39. So, once again, Hebrews 10:38 through 39 in light of this narrative. Now the just shall live by trusting faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, referring to the judgment of the second death in Genesis 2.17, but of those who believe, referring to believing in Messiah for the saving of the soul, something that these religious leaders refused to do. They chose to not enter into that rest and to put themselves in that position of believing in Yeshua. They were shrinking back from trust and belief in Yehovah. Okay, on the next podcast of Real Israel Talk Radio, we're going to come back and address the statement in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that divine biblical love hopes all and is all about hope. It is a very important foundational statement that we should try to understand from Yehovah's little dictionary of definitions. Thanks for being with me on this podcast series on defining biblical love. Our website is www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. Have a great week. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio.